I have a save game of Empire Total War somewhere called X Gonna Give It To You that I played this campaign while incredibly drunk. And I don't remember anything that happened, but I'm at war with the whole world. And I don't know how that happened, but it happened. And welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Josh. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing all right. It's a pretty good day. You feeling revolutionary? Ready oh, to revolutionize the world? All right, let's get started. Today we are watching and talking about Revolutionary Girl Utena, episode two, for whom the rose smiles. Now, Josh, uh, you had something you wanted to talk about. Do you want to talk about that during the episode, or do you want to talk about that now? Um, I, I think I can mention it now, so that when it comes up, you'll see what I mean. Okay. There's a, a book that you probably have not heard of by a guy you've probably not heard of. His name is Herman Hess, and the book is Damon. I'm surprised I didn't make this connection earlier, but I think that it's actually really eerie, eerie how close these two the quote in particular is, who would be born must first destroy a world. Now, in context, he's talking about, he's using the idea of a bird hatching itself from an egg. When you watch this episode, keep that in mind. Um, besides the fact that they straight up reference it, a quick read-through of the wiki page from Damien will show you, I mean, you'll see the parallels pretty quickly. They do talk quite a lot about cracking the world's shell. There's just a lot of weird apocalyptic imagery which can be seem sort of random, especially early on. Perhaps the end of the world is not necessarily quite as apocalyptic as, as it sounds. And we're going to hear a little bit more about the end of the world this time. So, Well, you haven't watched all the way through the show, so this is a little bit of minor spoiler, but end of the world is actually a person. I did kind of get that. I do, I do get that from the, um, the way that they talk about it. The way that they talk about it, they sort of make it sound like that, but because they use the phrase end of the world, that could be kind of confusing. But yeah, end of the world is actually a person, but uh, we're going to get some more talk about that in this episode. All right, we talked about the opening sequence last time, so we can just skip over that as far as I'm concerned, as much as I love it, and I watch it every time I regularly watch the episodes by myself. So, all right, see, we have Utena walking to class, and all the girls are fawning over because everybody loves Utena because she's bad. I love the little spinning rose frame. It's kind of dumb, but I just love this recurring motif of these spinning roses for no reason. Yeah, I do too, actually. It, it really does. It really feels like something you'd expect from a drawn page, which makes sense as it was originally manga. Well, actually, I think the manga and the anime were made at the same time. Really? I might have to go look that up. Yeah, I think I read that somewhere. It does really kind of feel like something that you'd expect from a drawn work. Yeah, it gets a lot of its aesthetic from, like, nouveau art, I think. Yeah, I can kind of see it. I can definitely see a little bit of that sort of florid uh, um, art nouveau. Oh, and here we see pouting Wakaba. She's upset because of what happened with the love letter in the last episode. Because Seonji's a jerk and does not deserve her or her affections. And now she's reading her book. Then we have to, like, kind of try to figure out again exactly what she saw in the first place. Because that is a little baffling. I will never know what she sees in Seonji. I think she just thinks he's hot and she has bad self-esteem, so she's willing to overlook his bad qualities. I love how you're really expecting. She's reading Magnolia's Wall 
adults and relating the events of the tale in the book to her life. I really love how you're expecting her to be all, like, really, really destroyed, but she's just not. Yeah, now she's really excited. She seemed like she was pouting at first, but she's like, you know what? It's gonna be okay, because Utena, you're my true love. And I love, in the dub, she goes, Utena, 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 my love! (laughs) That's how she talks, and I love it. It is pretty endearing that she just, like, jumps on her back, like, whatever. Uh, Here we get the student count giving their little speech about cracking the world shell gonna revolutionize the world these kids smash the world shell which is sounds really impressive but is also incredibly vague you know i think impressive but incredibly vague is probably a really good tagline for this entire show okay can we talk about like are they playing go fish i have no idea i have no idea what card game they're playing they're just throwing cards and then suddenly there's an envelope yeah i mean don't you usually just throw letters correspondence in the middle of your vaguely defined card games i mean even the card game itself is kind of that mo of not really explained at all but hey it's kind of impressive as a set piece yeah the one thing that you can say about the student council is that they always look on point and their set is always on point even if it doesn't make any sense i also love how they all look like just ridiculous at over the top attempting to be beautiful but really just seeming kind of silly and like everyone else is just normal like everything is normal until they show up suddenly it's like magical world i also on a more serious note kind of like the idea that in a lot of ways, even though they seem to know more, they're really kind of in the same position as Yusuf is. This is where it becomes kind of clear, because they're also kind of operating in someone else's world. They're playing someone else's game. Oh yeah, they are definitely under someone else's control, as much as they like to act like they have everyone else under their control, as the vaguely defined student council. But no one cares about them, because Wakaba and Utena are walking home. Wakaba and Utena are holding hands and walking home, and it's great. I always, I mean, early on, I'm wondering just how much Wakaba is just messing with her and how much she actually likes her. Because if she she seems really sincere and then she just is kind of just like, la, 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 la. Yeah, Utena has been assigned to the East Dorm, which according to Wakaba hasn't been used in 10 years. She's walking in and it's this big, interesting building, but there's nothing going on in it and there's nobody there. And she's worried now that she's going to be the only person that's in the dorm, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, having a whole house to yourself. Well, it would be except for the original room she was in. Oh yeah, I guess so. She just found one room that was totally decrepit. Which of course would probably make me worried about the structural integrity of the house. Yeah, honestly. But that room was much worse off than all the other rooms. She's come in to find Anthe cleaning. Anthe being domestic because she's the best. And she's cute with her little bandana. Yeah, the bandana really kind of like sells it. I love that she just pencils in her own name. It's just, that's so great. You know, like I'm here now. It kind of is temporary as her assignment, her living arrangements have apparently been pretty temporary. Utena, why do you have all that stuff? And how do you expect to fit it in that closet? You didn't carry that much stuff upstairs. Yeah, I was wondering where all that crap was like coming from. And she just like falls out. Utena is attempting to ask questions about the Rose Bride and Anne. Anthe is attempting to explain it, but Anthe never explains anything very clearly. So she's just like, I just have to do as you say, because I'm the Rose Bride. And when, when Utena asks her what's going on, she just says, 
Mystery. That's what it says in the subtitles, anyway. Actually, I really like that as an answer, besides the fact that it is, is frustratingly vague, and that's kind of fits the same. Oh. Anthe um, acting as an avatar for the creator of the show. Kinda. I also like that there's a... Su- I-, I wonder how much of it was intentional, because Mystery has been used... Choo-choo! And there we go. I don't know what he is. I think that... Choo-choo is, is a, a monkey. Mouse. Okay, then he's a monkey. A very small one. Choo-choo is a very small monkey, and he is purple, and he has a tie and an earring. Anthe introduces him as her friend, and Utena says, your pet? And Anthe says, no, my friend. And that reminds me of in Sailor Moon, whenever Usagi introduces Luna, she says, this is Luna, she lives with me, instead of being like, this is Luna, my cat, which I always thought was sort of odd. It's endearing, though. Yeah, no, I like it, but it's interesting. Utena is asking Anthe to be less formal with her. I love how that she doesn't, she just says, but I'm engaged to you. And like, at no point does she just stop saying, what do you exactly do that do you mean by that? Like, does it mean what I think it means? In the movie, there is much more of an implication that there are certain wifely duties that she has as the engaged. Honestly, I already kind of got that vibe. Yeah, you definitely get that vibe from Seonji, but they never say that in regards to her and Utena as far as the show goes, but it is very heavily implied in the movie. I mean, partially it doesn't kind of end up being applied with here in the show, because, I mean, Utena doesn't really seem interested in the same things that they are. Like, at no point does she really seem to express the same, I need you to act a certain way. So, you know, it's kind of natural that their relationship is vastly different. We have Seonji and his ponytail. I hate how cute Seonji's ponytail is. I like how he calls him Mr. President. But I love how, like, it seamlessly goes, he seamlessly goes from, like, super, super, super European, like, to, the, you've got the president with basically rich military officer, and the vice president is a samurai. Just night and day. It kind of gives everything they wear a sense of being costumed. Yeah, I often feel like this show is sort of like kids dressing up in costumes and playing at what they think a student council does. Which anime tells me that student council just sort of exists and or is the mafia. Utena is eating dinner and asking about more rose seal rules. Did you notice the rose cutlery? Yeah, I did. It's really pretty. I like all the detail in the designs for things in this show. This choo-choo tends to choke himself. There's a lot of really great scenery in the Utena. You should always enjoy it. And there he is. He's back. Sayonji trying to get his girl back. But that's not his girl anymore. If you don't know who he is, up until the point where you can no longer think of him in any other way but bad, like, you can almost feel bad for him, you know? Because, like, if you, if you don't know how he's been before, and then out of nowhere, smack. It's like, it's just night and day. Like, there's something shocking about that violence that isn't really shocking when he pulls a sword on her. Yeah, it always really catches me off guard when Seonji slaps Anthe, even though, like, I always know it's gonna happen. It's just, it's such a personal form of violence, as opposed to, like, there's sword fighting, which is not as, I don't know, it doesn't seem as personal, because it's at a certain distance. And he steps on Choo-Choo! Seonji's the worst, and the show never wants you to forget that, basically. Oh yeah, they're really driving home that he's supposed to be evil. Like, what really strikes me about him is that his violence is vulgar. It's, it's like the swordplay is a sort of pageantry. Like, it's the duel, and those who oppose us vanish because they break the rules, and the rules are very strict. There are rules and regulations. It's, it's a dance. But when he slaps her, he is going outside of the dance. It's old-world sort of strict rules of conduct, and he is acting outside of it. 
which is also partially why no one else seems too perturbed that he lost. Yeah, everybody else is sort of like, you kind of deserve that, dude. Uh, Utena wants to get out of the game, but she can't because if she does, then she'll lose Anthe, or rather, Anthe will go to someone else, someone who's worse. The Shadow Girls are back. I love the puppets. Shadow Girls are dressed up as cowgirls. Which is pretty great. It's it's really interesting to see when Japan takes Western things, especially American things, and like... A random cactus across the screen. Yeah, there's a random cactus. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's funny, but it also makes me think about, wow, like, this is probably how other people feel when we make all of our, our villains sound like Russians. All right, here we go. Utsun is opening the door with the ring and the water and the... I don't understand how this works or how that... Where is the it's water weird. coming from? I don't... I never know. It seems to be coming out of rock and then just like water starts flooding in everywhere and absolute destiny apocalypse starts. I do love this song, though. I wish that we could play it some in the episode, but maybe when I'm editing this, I'll put in some of the music in the background. It's so good. It's so ridiculous and dramatic. What I love about this show is everything is so dramatic and symbolic and ridiculous for no reason. We have, of course, the endless stare. The return to the world beneath the mound, as it were. I mean, wow, I just realized it really is. Like, it really is kind of a fairy mound because the forest is shaped sort of like it's on a hill. Yeah. Um, which is probably not, which is probably intentional. I mean, they've gone out of their way to kind of play with Western folklore already. This episode is the beginning of Utena getting her little embellishments on her costume. Like some sort of 18th century general. I mean, sorry, 19th century general. Man, that is such yeah. an impractical dueling ground. I know, but isn't it awesome? Oh, incredibly so. The thing that always struck me about her, oh, I'll just lose intentionally. Is that, like, she doesn't seem to realize, like, I wonder how much, does she realize that Angie will go back? Or does she just assume that she won't have to, because why would she have to? I think she just doesn't get it, and she's just thinking, I'm uncomfortable with this, I want out. Which is pretty fair, I mean, it would be hard to be comfortable with this. I love that she says, I lose, if, she doesn't say, you lose if I get yours, it's I lose if you get mine. Yeah. even it accidentally kind of showing that that's a real point. I love this scene. I love the pulling of the sword out of Anthe's chest every time. There was something really, really, just really cool about that as a concept. It's just aesthetically pleasing with the whole like magical sword kind of thing going on. It's just cool. I don't know what about it is so cool, but it is. And I love that it's referenced in Steven Universe when Steven takes the sword out of Lion. Here we go with his double grip. As a side note, because I'm a nerd, the interesting thing to me about this is that it's kind of, it's an interesting matchup. You have, the thing about katanas is that every katana is a work. Um, they're made to be so incredibly sharp in a way that like nothing in the West is made to be, that they actually can slice through, they can slice through basically people in a single go. Huh. Whereas you have, they're supposed to be functional. Whereas the sword Utena has is sort of a more of a saber, which is, which honestly, by the time people would be wearing the kind of uniform she has, are ceremonial. Of course, I also love the fact that it, President, Mr. President is looking on with his little glasses. Uh, Toga. Old money in the seat, grand seats. Ho oh, ho, the show. They pronounce Toga's name two different ways in the dub also. In like the first episode, they call him Tuga, but throughout the rest of the show, they call him Toga. The kick actually really feels like yeah. Over and over again, they're going to go out of their way to portray him as being outside of the bounds of just just make him. He's just a vulgar character. 
then we have this. The Dios Ex Machina. Wow. I would be mad if it weren't actually literally what's happening. That's literally what's happening. What's with the rose? I don't know. I've wondered that every time I've watched this. It seems like it's like a sensor of some kind, but it just seems so out of place. Yeah, like as far as I can tell, it's not a sensor. Like that's how it was originally. Yeah, like that's in every version of the show that I've seen. So I can only assume that that's how it originally was. Not only does she cut his flowers, she cut his blade, son. Power of Dios. Which just goes back to the thing that's like, that's that should happen. Toga's like, what? Is that the power? <laughs> Sayonji's face, I love. I love any time that he is gravely upset. He did pretty good with his, the, his expressions. Yeah, he has some great facial expressions. There's the the beautiful painted scenery. <laughs> and the cake. And Choo-Choo. Aw, Choo-Choo loves cake. She just kind of accepts it. Purposely Okay, I didn't win for you. I won for Choo Choo. Even her, even when she's trying to be coy, she's still endearing. Uten is so cute. I love her so much. She's so great. I love Anthe's smile at the end. Because, I don't know, it seems like she thinks for a moment things are going to be okay. They're not, but it seems like it. The end theme music is really good, too. As soon as the end credits started, it got stuck in my head. All right, that was the end of episode two. For whom the rose smiles. We have not learned very much. We're not going to learn a lot over the course of Utena. I found myself just as confused when I ended it as when I began. But this is an exciting journey anyway. Because I love this show. How do you feel, Josh? There are a couple things in this episode that, that made me ask questions. All right. One of the big ones for me is the end. Specifically, we have, okay, we have her plan is that she is going to, like, she's going to lose on purpose. She's going to throw the match. And then we have, of course, you know, the Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> is she choosing to not lose? Like, is she cho- choosing to win or is she being made to win? The puppet show mentions that, you know, losing is harder than you think it is. And the way that she doesn't immediately take credit for doing it kind of made me wonder to what extent she had she made a choice at all i don't know i sort of feel like she got to a point and she just sort of i don't know i feel like she decided to win and in that moment when she decided she was like that was when the power of dios came down and was like hey you're gonna win because i'm gonna give you supernatural powers or whatever but I don't know, actually. I had never considered that maybe she didn't even choose to win. I mean, because that's how it really came across to me. The first time I watched this episode, was like almost a weird possession because she looks really confused for a second after the sort of the, the presence sort of dissipates. As if yeah. she doesn't know what's happened or she doesn't understand what happened. Now, it could be that frustrated and angry about, you know, him being a jerk, she just kind of decided to win anyway. And she's surprised because she just, there was a sudden, I feel like I can do this and I feel like someone else is helping me. But I don't know. It just makes me wonder. It also, because, like, she doesn't seem to be terribly bothered by the fact that she won and thus, and she's keeping, staying with her. And I think probably at that point, she's also kind of made the connection that, yeah, if I win, then. She doesn't have to go back to him. Yeah. But I don't know. The fact that, that she's, it, we think of like, she's she's been really bold and brash and perfectly willing to take credit or to do things that would be sort of up in front. Like, I don't know, just like a knight, basically. The knight, the prince. But then she sort of deflects that when, you know, kind of deflects a perfectly good opportunity to play up the fact that she is this knight hero. It just doesn't. But mm. does so in a way that's sort of, you know, it's soft. It's, it's witty. And it's obviously like not trying to be dismissive but also obviously not trying to take credit too much. 
That is an interesting point. And I think I will keep that in mind as we continue on, especially with this first arc. Because things get more complicated in, like, the second and especially the third arc. But, like, this first arc, I feel like Uta has a lot more agency in her own decisions as far as what's going on. Because, like, the stakes are not as high yet. I don't know. But we'll see where we go from here. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you could do that at mpandanata. For any questions, concerns, comments, you can send those to at utanacast on Twitter, or you can email them to us at imagineandutana at gmail.com. Until next time. Signing off. Going to revolutionize the world. See you next time, Randall.